From Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network, this is Between Sundays, a conversation about finding the sacred in the everyday. I'm your host, Bobby Sockold. When I first started thinking about making this podcast, I knew right away that there was one person I really wanted to talk to. So it makes sense that we'll wrap up our first season, which we called The Creative Urge, with our guest, Elise Bouvier. Elise is a photographer, a storyteller, and a documenter. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. Where we pick up, Elise and I are chatting about how our paths crossed and how the conversations we had over coffees stayed with both of us long after we left the table. I love that about conversations, how conversations shape us, renew us, shine all kinds of light into the shadowy spaces within us. I think by the time people ask me, a pastor, to have coffee, they're often in need of someone who can just listen to that sense they are making of something deep and personal and have someone they trust say, yes, that sense you have is good. Keep going. That's how I felt about my coffees with Elise. She was sensing a new way forward for herself, and I got to witness it and say, yes, I see something of the divine there with you too. So today, you'll hear Elise and I talk about seismic shifts in her family, all kinds of creative projects, sensuality, in our sexuality. And so heads up, the content of this conversation moves into some pretty mature spaces. Also, there is some mature language from me, not Elise. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to Between Sundays. Welcome to the conversation. So let's get into it. I would love it if you would introduce yourself uh, as if We've never met. Give us some details about who you are, Elise. Um, So do you want me to start with like, I'm Elise? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I'm Elise. Yeah. And I grew up in and around the Calgary area. Grew up mostly in Cochrane. Um, I always had an interest in photography from even a very young age and can you think of like a moment or like a little story um I remember when I was maybe um single digits (laughs) and I got a little film camera um just like a point and shoot kind of like yeah just a little like point and shoot I mean this was like the 90s like hot pink or something no but it was like shiny it was like gold or something Uh and uh and with it um a Winnie the Pooh memory photo box that I could put all my little photos in and some Winnie the Pooh stickers which I think I decorated the camera with and um I always journaled a lot too as a kid, so they kind of went hand in hand. I think my photography has gone always really hand in hand with this kind of poetic urge and this journaling, journalistic, diaristic kind of thing. Um, that's how I started, just kind of taking my camera to summer camp and disposable cameras and mm. documenting my friends through high school mm. and 
Um, after that, I decided when I was looking at going to university, I was all over the map, like, maybe I'll go to fashion school, maybe I'll go and do drama in New Zealand, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. And, but never, never wanted to study photography, because somehow I got in my head that it wasn't like a proper career or something, or or I didn't want to do it as a job. Um, Of course, that's where I ended up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I just went down this trajectory kind of more of like communications and um, visual design and graphic illustration, that kind of thing, um, which tied in really well, actually, with photography. And I really enjoy communication as well. So um, really went down that path and studied that as well as um, I worked, you know, at that time in the coffee industry for a really long mm-hmm. time. And I think my big draw to that was the conversation in the community that you mm-hmm. find in coffee shops and cafes. And, and did you study here in Calgary? or did you I did. Go? I, you stu- did. Okay. I studied at Mount Royal, actually. Oh, okay. So okay. Bachelor of Applied Communications in Electronic Publishing. Ooh, good, good. <laughs> it sounds fancier than it is, <laughs> as as with most degrees. Right, right, like, right. <laughs> Take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, I'm a master of divinity. So. Yeah. Oh, oh, master. I know all about <laughs> those titles. I always feel like you need some sort of fancy hat I for know, like master I of divinity. Have one. I should. I've mastered the divine. No big. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Mount Royal. So Mount Royal uh, studied. Yeah, the communications thing, and then was working in the coffee industry and was honestly like, oh yeah, I'll totally like open my own like combo, like gallery cafe one day. Mm -hmm. And, um, but started to just really feel like that wasn't the right place for me Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. And around this time, um, was going through some stuff with my family and, Mm -hmm. um, my parents splitting and different kind of like big factors that just kind of change your life. Mm And, um, so I took off and went and lived in London for two years. Just <laughs> like, okay, the, you know, the adventurous type seven spirit was like, okay, there's too much drama happening here. So I'm just oh. going to go <laughs> see ya, uh, which was the best thing that I could have done. Honestly, oh, it was really good. I love that me... you can look at your own story like mm. that and be like, that was a good urge yeah. to, like, to go. I think yeah. you have to, you have to also just have grace for those things. Mm-hmm. And that for me though was it was the right thing for me to just kind of unplug and plug in something somewhere else Mm -hmm. and recharge and reboot the system Mm -hmm. a little bit. I was young, like 25. And that was like a real turning point in my life was spending a couple years in London and, you know, feeling all the feelings about being in an unfamiliar place and learning kind of a new culture and a new way of being and also being in your mid-20s and you're learning so much about yourself you're learning so much about your body you're Mm -hmm. learning so much about your relationships and what you want to do for a career and so a lot of that kind of culminated in London um that was where I really made the decision that I wanted to go back to school for photography. Oh, okay. And what were you doing so, in London? What did you, how did you I worked as a barista. You yeah. did? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah, I stayed was. Stayed with coffee. Okay. Yeah. So I stayed with coffee. I used it as like a, a tool to get places, okay. basically, because uh-huh. of connections through the yeah. coffee industry. And I worked at some of the really top cafes in uh-huh. London and was able to make connections all across Europe and even traveled a bit because of that job. So it was I have like so much love and respect for that industry mm-hmm. still, um, even though I'm very glad to have left it yeah. behind too. Yeah. Um, and so all in this, 
time in London, you know, exploring this different kind of side of myself, really coming to the conclusion that, no, I didn't want to stay in the industry and I wanted to continue to pursue photography Mm. in a more um, intentional way Mm. and like thought about going back to school and found this program in Toronto. Um, That's right. I knew there was like mm -hmm. education out east. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Got it. So came back to Canada, essentially applied for that program, got in, um, moved out to Toronto, moved all of my things to Toronto thinking, oh, "Oh, I'm going to just live in Toronto now Hmm. and I'm going to stay here because it's going to be the best of both worlds. It's going to be the best of like big city like London, but it's Canadian. It's still closer to family. And um, I really didn't connect with the city. (laughs) So Hmm. I did my two years studying there. I really enjoyed the program. I got what I wanted out of it, did a really great project there and then decided to move back to Calgary. Ah, And what was the title of that program? It's the um, Masters of Fine Art in Documentary Media. Documentary Media. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's very much, there were filmmakers, there were podcasters, Mm. there was theater folk. It's really like from a bunch of very, yeah, very diverse um, backgrounds coming together to basically documentary and in terms of this program was telling stories, Mm. which is what I've always been interested in and always wanted to do. So um, I was really, I was pretty focused when I was there and really just driven by the project I wanted to do, which was to photograph um, Chinese Western restaurants in rural Alberta. And I was really grateful for the program to the program to help me develop that project and to actually dive into, you know, the historical and cultural implications of Chinese diaspora mm-hmm. in rural places mm-hmm. in Alberta and actually understand that a little bit more. Um, and also understand my own identity in terms of my relationship to that. Oh. And and then be able to think about how to tell that story and tell it from, yes, my perspective as a photographer, but also to honor the perspectives of the many different Asian immigrants mm. who live and work in these small towns and thinking about those cultural intersections mm-hmm. a lot. Um, so it was, it was a really great project that still kind of wrapping up now um hoping to how many years have you been working on it well I mean I started working on it and thinking about the project even before I went to do my master's even before I moved to London okay and so let's talk about that creative urge yeah yeah where did that come from like why why that project what's how did it bubble up for you hmm I think a lot of it had to do with this, a lot of the creative urge maybe for me often has to do with trying to figure out my own identity and my, and the, where I fit in within like the greater context okay. of people around me. Well, that's how we know ourselves yeah. is in relationship. But yeah. it's so interesting to think about not just my relationship with my family or my relationship with this friend or this significant other, but like a larger cultural piece. Yeah. is re- I'm so interested in how that got drawn together for you yeah like I I think I so I was born in well I was born in High River and I spent the first five years of my life growing up in Vulcan Alberta okay small town rural at the time my dad was a Pentecostal pastor there and 
we would go back after we moved away from there, we would go back and visit and see family and friends there. And so I I had this like relationship with small town rural Mm. Alberta that I think I was always kind of trying to understand, you know, what is my identity and relationship? Why do I love Alberta so much? Why am so Why am I so drawn to the prairies? Mm-hmm. Why does this feel like home? Especially after being completely transplanted and living in London, which mm-hmm. is nothing like the prairies, so different. And I have a great love for London still, but why Why this prairie love? Yeah. Why this love for these beautiful, which is like, like rooted yeah. in something? Yeah. Okay. And I think it came out of that. Um, And And was there there a a Chinese restaurant in the town? Yes. And how did that anchor something for you? So the Chinese restaurant in that town was where we would go and... You know, I hear stories from my parents of like going there after church and like having coffee. That was like the communal gathering yeah. spot. When we go back, that's where we'd meet friends and family yeah. and have like grilled cheese sandwich and chocolate milk. Okay. And I, I kind of associated a lot of my own identity with going back to that place. Okay. Um, even though like as as I got older, we went back less and less and less and. And that one was actually called Royal Cafe, which is what oh. I did end up naming the series um, after that Chinese Western restaurant in Vulcan. Okay. It's really interesting because I grew up in small town Saskatchewan. Mm. And maybe it was when I first heard about your project. when we, we I, I can't remember if this was it, but I, I went to a memory of this restaurant called the galaxy i mm-hmm. think in esterhazy saskatchewan okay and seeing the family i'm not sure where they were from uh walking along the side of the building like you know your brain takes a picture mm-hmm. and i remember thinking i don't see this demographic anywhere else in my community except right here mm-hmm. at this restaurant mm-hmm. what is their life like Mm-hmm. apart from this space you know on like this main street where this little highway goes through the town mm-hmm. uh it, it, it just made me aware of some uh likely like racism that's Absolutely. present mm-hmm. and uh saying it's okay for you to occupy that space mm-hmm. but i don't know dang it <laughs> Ding. Uh, yeah, it just it was really interesting that I had this moment and I, that that I took a picture in my head of like, oh, I'm seeing people I hadn't seen before, mm-hmm. but yet they they always exist here. Mm-hmm. What is is there something that I should be questioning about mm-hmm. this? So fascinating that and the, the, this experience of like this is where people go after church. They have their cups of coffee, you know, that they, they can like occupy that space. No mm-hmm. problem. But what does it look like for like a more integrated community mm-hmm. to exist? And I think there are towns where they became maybe mm. slightly more integrated. Okay. In um, Vulcan, for example, I did interview Esther Luang, mm-hmm. who was the owner of one of 
she actually was the owner of New Club Cafe in Vulcan, which still exists. It's more of a diner. And they were the first people in town to bring pizza to the town. So they were Chinese owners of a, a diner restaurant. They didn't serve any Chinese food, actually, oh. in that space. It was across the street from the Royal Cafe. Wow. And Esther is very beloved within the Vulcan community. Okay. And she's very extroverted and outgoing, and her kids all grew up there and with everyone else. So to what degree, it depends on the community, but mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of hidden racism mm-hmm. and um, kind of this segregation mm-hmm. still even and this expectation. Um, I think it's a really interesting thing that th- these these immigrants – you know, there's like a history of the immigration to these small towns and but that they that they transplanted themselves into this kind of almost hostile territory. Oh, oh really. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that they did everything they could to try and do the best they could for their family, like mm-hmm. everyone does. Mm-hmm. And what that looked like is opening up their space Mm -hmm. like creating like kind of a sheltered space but then opening it up for others to come in so it's it's kind of like a cross-cultural exchange in some ways but also there there is like there's kind of some rules of negotiation there almost that um these the owners you know depending on their own comfort but over time when the after these restaurants had been open for you know decades Mm -hmm over time started to kind of change even the food style in order to better cater to white prairie customers, meat and potatoes, hot turkey sandwiches, grilled cheese. And so those are things you typically find on those menus. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's also really interesting, and um, I did a lot of work and Lily Cho has a fantastic book actually about this. I highly recommend okay, anybody read. Okay. Um, Eating Chinese um, is what it's called. Small town uh, Chinese on the menu in small town Canada. Wow. Okay. And I had a the um, I got to spend a lot of time actually with Lily in Toronto. She's a professor at York, mm. and talking with her was really great about these interactions. Because she really saw, like, looked at it from like a really critical view, as well. And one of the things she really talks about is that the the Chinese restaurants and the Chinese owners actually defi- defined what Canadian cuisine even was. Like, oh. you know, like Chinese Western or Chinese Canadian restaurant is usually kind of the tagline for yeah. a lot of these places. And the Chinese owners were saying, well, okay, what's Canadian food? Okay, hot turkey sandwiches, roast beef, hamburgers. So they like they defined actually a cuisine for Canada wow. that I don't think anybody else has defined ever. Right. Like you don't like nobody everybody always talks about her, oh, Canada doesn't have like a yeah. national cuisine. Well yeah. we we do. Wow. Yeah. And actually the people who defined it were immigrants. Wow. And so I, I, I think there's really just something so interesting about those spaces yes and how they kind of bring people together one of the things i'm curious about because mm-hmm. what's also in my we're gonna go down this and then i'm gonna pull us back and then we're gonna go through some other places but yep. i was thinking about what and i have not taken these thoughts out of my head but 
the relationship with um, more marginalized women, mm. uh, and I think I'm thinking of like white women mm-hmm. in these places that served as mm-hmm. the the uh, wait waitress mm-hmm. staff, because uh, I can think of I can't quite see them clearly, but I can think of like maybe women who were on their own or like kind of had some like roughness to them mm-hmm. being like year after year, year after year, like they also were able to find like work home mm-hmm. or almost bridge the space a little bit between communities. Mm-hmm. Did did you explore any of the, like the people who worked at these restaurants and did you discover any, anything mm-hmm. like that? Like, uh, I didn't do a ton of interviews yeah. with the other workers. Yeah. Uh, often there were, there's definitely a very common trend of yeah. like white women working yeah. in yeah. the restaurants. Yeah. Um, a lot of the ones that I went to didn't have that anymore. Okay. I think it's less common Maybe. Now. Okay. <clears throat> um, it would have been a part of like the 80s. Yeah. Uh, like I did photograph I one woman um, who was probably maybe in her 50s or yeah, 60s, yeah. a server mm-hmm. at the Diana and Drumheller. Okay. Uh, a white woman. Yeah. Who was kind of part of that, had been there for a really long yeah. time and had worked there for a really long time. I, I think I had a lot of expectations about or assumptions about the operation mm-hmm. of a lot of these restaurants. And they were all so different. Uh. And... There was a lot of, for example, um, I met quite a few families that were Korean, Vietnamese, Thai, who were running Chinese Western restaurants. Uh, It was common that they were all usually run within a family, kind of generationally even. Uh, Often, it it varied whether like there was um, the female owner who was kind of more present Mm -hmm. or whether there was a male owner who was kind of more present Mm -hmm. in like the front of house. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing that maybe had something to do with comfort level and speaking English as part of it, depending on like that was the, what I found out in a few of the restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, Some had like their young kid, like Mm -hmm. younger kids, grandchildren Mm -hmm. hanging out in the restaurant. It was really like, there was a lot of family involved Mm -hmm. in the spaces there was even interesting kind of things like there was a family in three hills uh the owner's name is mike and he he was very hesitant to talk to me and let me photograph at first but his son kind of convinced him on my behalf and they had this beautiful vegetable garden out back of the restaurant, just gorgeous, like all these Chinese vegetables. And I was like, oh, do you use these for the customers? Oh, no, 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 the customers don't like that kind of food. So they grew all these beautiful vegetables for themselves because there's this kind of really, you know, this understanding or assumption that like really traditional Chinese cuisines wouldn't be palatable to mm. the Western Canadian taste Mm. um so definitely this like strong like while there was this opening of like come into our restaurant there was a strong separation Mm -hmm. between that and like their home life and their family metaphor even like i'm i'm growing this flourishing garden in this place that you can't see Mm -hmm. you know sort of hidden and uh yeah private tended Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that's really, yeah, that's interesting. I'll mm-hmm. be thinking about that for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So you, it, it's still ongoing. You're still. I, I haven't been photographing anymore with it, but mm-hmm. the plan right now is to finish the project by putting out a photo book, mm-hmm. but I want it to include essays and even fictional accounts or poetic hmm. writing around the understanding of the kind of rural Chinese and Asian diaspora. Mm-hmm. So I've I'm reaching out to writers to contribute some stories specifically like especially writers who are from immigrant families or come from like a Chinese or Asian descent that um especially if they grew up in a small town I I just I don't want a I don't want to publish a book and have it be my perspective Mm -hmm. because I think it's really really important this story is not just mine to tell Mm -hmm. it is absolutely partly part of my identity having Mm -hmm. gone back to these restaurants and grown growing up here and I have a very um deep connection with it you talk to anyone from like rural Alberta Saskatchewan and they're all like oh I used to go to this one all the time everyone has a story but I think it's important that the forefront the most important stories are those Mm. of you know the owners and immigrants in the frame in the frame yeah and and I didn't collect like a ton of stories from the people necessarily that I photograph it's partly some of my own shyness too of trying to find that respectful boundary but I also wanted to make sure that you know the images and and like a photo book for example or when I did the installation of Mm -hmm. the final work in Toronto that it's an about an experience of the places as well I didn't want it to be too intellectual like Mm. Um, you know, so people have written about the history of these places from who are historians or who have a better understanding of mm-hmm. all the intricate details of mm-hmm. the immigration. Like, I understand some of it, and I think there will be some of that in the book. But right. in terms of photography, I see that as something that's almost like collage-like, mm. where you build these layers that mm-hmm. people can kind of come to it from their own perspective and experience mm-hmm. it and hopefully come away with maybe a better understanding and respect for those mm-hmm. places as as important cultural spaces yeah not only just within Canada yeah um because I almost don't want to tie it to like a, a nation oh okay or like or even tie it to the idea of like Canadian multiculturalism right I want to tie it to like land and place larger human yeah experience and the experience of the movement of people Mm -hmm. and how that ties to um even food spaces specifically Mm. so are you able to articulate what you were sort of looking for of your own identity like what Mm. things you were trying to see in yourself I'm not sure. I th- I think I was looking for, I mean, it's always looking for that context within that greater story as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have, to, I have to think about that one mm-hmm. a little bit, to be honest. I don't know what I, what I originally was looking for. Mm-hmm. I think I discovered more after the fact even yeah. of what came back to me and and a lot of what came back to me is just like a real 
like almost a gratefulness. Mm. It's hard to explain. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Is there any, I'm, is there, this might be a long shot. Is there a juxtaposition of being a pastor's kid, you know, at this age and what a church space mm. is, thinks it, it's supposed to be in these small towns and then juxtaposed with what it's like to gather in a restaurant Hmm. are there do you see any well I think a lot about I think a lot about the idea of breaking bread and what that means yeah and for me the ultimate spiritual sensory experience is over food Hmm. And I also think it's the ultimate place to cross boundaries of different ways of thinking, Mm. different cultures, different attitudes, different political thinking Mm -hmm. is when you can come together and eat food in a space. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something really powerful about those gathering spaces. But Mm -hmm. it's but it's interesting because, yeah, actually, you're bringing up in my head these ideas of like, you know, when I was a kid and like the fellowship time Mm -hmm. and the like percolator coffee Mm -hmm. and coffee has always been like a huge part of that for me, Mm -hmm. that like fellowship time Mm -hmm. where, you know, since I was a little kid would be like sneaking some of grandma's coffee mm-hmm. after church sugar in it tons of sugar <laughs> <laughs> so much sugar <laughs> just like pop up cube in your mouth yeah. throw some in the coffee yeah okay. exactly but these ideas of like you know I think of the church that I kind of grew up in when I was um mm-hmm. when we first moved to Calgary and I was a little bit younger and like gathering in like the foyer mm-hmm. and conversations and that was that was like where the real church happened Mm. and the services were just while I still actually like found something even as like a teenager found something very poetic in the services Mm -hmm. but the real connection and community Mm. you know was happening yeah outside of the hall it was happening in between and right so you know those spaces where you sit and have right. a cup of coffee and gathers it's like liturgy as like dress rehearsal yeah or something you know liturgy is like okay we're we participated in eucharist today yeah you, know, you come up and you think well what does this little grape and this little cracker have to do with anything yeah. you know but thinking about a, a more alive and sort of sacred sense of the meal the mm-hmm. table that yes. we it, it's an equalizer you know, yes. we all sit in an equal place uh, and pass one another food and mention names and may I have some more mashed potatoes and uh, young and old, you know, sitting there. And it's a very sort of trust. intimate space. It's intimate. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's vulnerable. Do I have something on my face? You know, yeah. like, do I have lettuce in my teeth? Yeah. And being willing to be seen yeah. by the people that you sit with. Yeah, you hope that some of those things are present in the liturgy and that it enlivens life, mm-hmm. you know, after the service, in the foyer, around the coffee bar, in your neighborhoods, going to restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things. Okay, let's back up a little bit. Thank you for talking about that. That's sparking all kinds of curiosities and intriguing things in my own mind uh a little bit more about your growing up Mm. and growing up 
I, I mean, I know just a little bit of that story, but why don't you fill us in a little bit about your relationship to church and family mm-hmm. and what that was like for mm-hmm. you? Um, yes. <laughs> so I grew up in a really evangelical home, uh, specifically Pentecostal, uh, which is about as far into it you can get in some way <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah. um and I think I've always been I've always had a very like a spiritual side to me and um so that fit very well in a lot of ways with my personality mm-hmm. even growing up as a child and my dad was a Pentecostal pastor until I was about until I was about six or seven. Okay. And then he went back to school. He went back to university. We moved back to Calgary. And he became a school teacher. Okay. So he transitioned from kind of teaching in the church to mm-hmm. teaching in a How old was school. he then? Like what sort of uh, stage of life I, was oh, that I asked him? him the other day, but I think he would have been, if I was like six or seven. Like he was probably young. Yeah. Time. Yeah, he was... I think around 40. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's significant. So, to, yeah, reimagine work shift like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. And to go back to school yeah. when you have a family. Yeah. And to pay for that. And he worked like, you know, two jobs while he was going to mm. school. And my mom was working full time. So it was a really interesting time in our family mm-hmm. for sure to go through that period. Mm-hmm. Um, remember lots of uh, going to the community center after school around that time but never felt like we were um, my family so wonderful my parents are great they never felt like we were really lacking in any Mm. way in that time but uh, definitely just a transition Mm -hmm. for and honestly and we were going to church this whole time too and I was really getting into it I was very involved in like all the clubs and the youth groups and all through my teens mm. and we moved to Cochrane at one point when I was about 14 and we were we kind of hopped around a few different churches but I but mostly stayed at the Alliance Church in Co- mm-hmm. Cochrane there um, which had a really big youth group mm-hmm. so it makes sense um, got really involved in that and meanwhile you know I don't know it because I'm a teenage girl, so I'm, you know, pretty self-centered at this point Mm. in time in my life, I think. But I think my dad was going through a big transition Mm -hmm. and really questioning a lot of his own relationship to faith. And so when I was 18, my dad told me that he didn't believe in Jesus anymore. It's pretty earth-shattering for, like, a very spiritual kid mm-hmm. who was really involved with church um yet I still I still struggle with church in my own ways all through yeah. that time to be honest yeah. um even before I learned about that stuff with right. my dad there was a lot of parts of traditional evangelicalism that mm-hmm. I really didn't understand and and you know thought that there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. because I didn't get it and mm-hmm. that stuff made me kind of I was like oh I this doesn't settle well with me and Mm -hmm. you know you think there's something wrong with you because something doesn't sit right right um because you're you grow up and you're kind of told that yeah what the church says and what the pastor says are kind of like 
the be all and end all, right? So yeah, it really changed my relationship with church a little bit when my dad told me that. I mean, we hadn't been, we hadn't had a strong family church kind Mm. of relationship in a long time where we like all went to church together anymore. Like it was very much like, I kind of would go to like as a teenager, I'd go to my own services and like there was a real split like that we weren't Mm. doing church together as a family Mm -hmm. for a long time. And do you know that like was his educational decision at 40 or however old he was, was that a part of something that was shifting for him for many years? I think so. Yeah. The church was sort of setting himself up for the change that he needed to live into. Yes. Mm -hmm. And at that, like at the time that my dad was a pastor, like he was pastoring in small towns mm-hmm. and people were extremely judgmental. Mm-hmm. We made no money. We were living on my parents used to tell me that they would have five dollars left over each at the end of the month to spend on themselves. So there was just like it's sort of you this know. like entitled like we kind of own you, but we're gonna yeah. pay you shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of just like a lot of judgment mm. from churches that my folks were pastoring mm. in. You know, I think they weren't feeling Sounds appreciated. So restricting. So restricting. Um, you know, I think I remember my dad one t- once telling me that like the church, all the church members would just be like, couldn't believe that we went to public school. Like that was like, oh, yeah. they were like, so like, why wouldn't you send your kids to christian school wow just a lot of and i think my dad took on a lot of that and mm-hmm. he's very much like so in the, in the enneagram he's mm-hmm. a type one. Oh, okay so he very much took on a lot i think of like the like quote-unquote religiousness yeah of the church yeah and he took it to like to heart he was like well okay this is what i'm supposed to do so i'm yeah. gonna do this yeah i'm gonna do it really well and i'm gonna do it really well so, you know, like I grew up without Santa Claus and wasn't allowed to watch a lot of mm-hmm. um, a lot of traditional TV and just a, a lot of little things that were just not part of like that were part of most people's mm-hmm. childhoods. And like I never did Halloween mm-hmm. at all because my dad thought like he was doing the right thing. He yeah. was like, well, I this this is this is bad and this is good and Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do the good thing and Mm -hmm. follow these things and then he just felt really that I think there was a lot of hypocrisy in the church community because you know people would place a lot of judgment on him Mm -hmm. and hold him to like some sort of higher standard and he held himself also to a very high standard of course but then they would go off and do like be drinking on the weekend with their friends or like or whatever it was Mm -hmm. and it was obviously nothing even that Mm -hmm. wild but to my dad it felt just like such a betrayal because he was trying so hard Mm -hmm. to like follow these rules that you're supposed to follow when you're a pastor and you're supposed to follow when you're a christian and it really burdened him Mm -hmm. and it wasn't freeing for him like living as a christian for my dad was not a free experience yes so you know i think i this is like all stuff i've thought about and looked back Mm -hmm. on at the Mm -hmm. time when i was 18 and my dad was like oh i don't believe in jesus i'm not a christian he's gonna go to hell yeah yeah (laughs) what it's on me now (laughs) i have to save my dad (laughs) yeah i have to save my dad what's happening would you would you say that was traumatic 
Like, would you use a word like that or? I don't think I would. And I think that's just because I just wouldn't let it be. Okay. What do you mean by that? I. So whenever I've had really like tough things that happen in my life, like that, like that Mm -hmm. is like a turning point for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, or, you know, when my parents told me they were splitting up Mm -hmm. as well, which was a couple years later, I think kind of result of some Mm -hmm. of that. Um, I just, I just don't want to, I just don't want to like deal, like deal with it and like deal with that negativity Mm -hmm. or deal with it. And I I just kind of like, okay, this is the new reality, Mm -hmm. like moving on. I am. And maybe, like, there is something that I'm still dealing with there that is related to maybe some sort of trauma. Mm -hmm. But I just, I wouldn't label it that way because Mm -hmm. to me, it was just kind of like, wow, this is a big deal. And I'm going to be sad about it, but then I'm going to move on. Okay. (laughs) And it it, it definitely shifted, shifted some of things in my life, but I don't think it... I don't feel like I feel like reciprocal like trauma from didn't that sort of derail you like you no. were on a road that's the way you were yeah I think I'm really stubborn too okay. so that kind of leads into the fact that after my dad told me that I was like well I'm not going to be like my dad I'm not going to lose my faith I'm not going to oh, lose yeah. Christianity I'm going to be like I'm going to follow this yeah. and so it really made me like stick in okay. quite a lot um, in the coming years yeah. and like all through my 20s yeah. even to a place where I, I think beyond where I even felt like it spoke to me anymore mm-hmm. um, yeah it it made me almost more like maybe that was like the the, the trauma of it was it made me really like stick in right. and be like and it, it changed my relationship to my faith in that sense where I was like well because I think I already had some of my own doubts at that time yeah. and I and I'm very similar to my dad so I was like well I can't be like that I can't yeah. lose this yeah um, the ways we I f- define ourselves especially with our parental relationships yeah I will not be yes. like that but then we end up restricting our own choices yes or our choices get restricted yes absolutely yeah, yeah. so you carried on so I carried on your your parents split. You went away for a couple years. Yeah. Came back. Yeah. And kept at sort of this like traditional faith trajectory. Uh, I think it started to change a little bit for me when I was living in London. Okay. Um, and I got involved with a great church there and I got a lot of support from people there. And that was like a really important community that I was Mm -hmm. a part of but the community was really important to me but I was definitely questioning a lot of aspects of Mm -hmm. Christianity especially in terms of like activism and justice Mm -hmm. and LGBTQ Mm -hmm. and sexuality and gender um, a lot of big things Mm -hmm. that I didn't see in the church and a lot of the traditional evangelical churches that I was Mm -hmm. a part of, I just saw a lot of like reinforcing of gender norms and gender Mm -hmm. roles and, um, you know, saying that they were accepting of LGBTQ with one breath and then really not being accepting Mm -hmm. in the ways that they acted. And, Mm -hmm. um, it really came to a head when I lived in Toronto and I started doing my master's and I really dove into 
um, reading a lot more um, kind of contemporary critical theory Mm. and thinking about different um, thinking, just thinking critically about the church as a whole. Um, And I've definitely had some moments where, you know, having moments where I really especially in those couple of years when I was in Toronto and I was really grappling actually a lot with like my faith then and what that meant to me. Um, But still remaining quite spiritual, if if that makes sense. Um, But definitely moving more and more away from the church as, as a whole, because I felt that it wasn't necessarily the best place to express that, that part of myself anymore. Mm. And just maybe like my dad actually seeing a lot of words spoken but then Mm -hmm. living differently than Mm -hmm. and that's not to say that like not like I have my own hypocrisies in my life Mm -hmm. we all do Mm -hmm. um but I think I was maybe a little bit disturbed by the level of power that um churches had over people yes and the responsibility that pastors have Mm -hmm. And not seeing that being takes, taken seriously mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not seeing church pa- pastors who were critical thinking right, right, about right. like the greater context yes. of the world that we live in. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, you know, getting more and more kind of like, how can you not think about these things? How are you yeah. not thinking about gender rules? How right. are you still enforcing this? Yeah. How are you still having conversations about sex? Like, like I remember one real turning point was a service that I was at in Toronto. Yeah this like cool hipstery church um and you know them basically having like a sex talk Mm -hmm. that was basically like like junior high don't have sex essentially and talking to a room full of like maybe like 500 like 20 to 30 20 30 Mm -hmm. year olds in toronto and being like oh you shouldn't like go away with your partner or your well they would say boyfriend or girlfriend yeah Yeah, it was because like you you don't want to get yourself in trouble and I'm like well okay first of all if someone's Mm -hmm. you know decides that they don't want to have sex until they're married or in a committed relationship Mm -hmm. that's absolutely like someone's decision and I think Mm -hmm. it's it's a great decision if that's what you want to do that but also that when you're in like your 20s and Mm -hmm. 30s I think you can like make that decision Mm -hmm. and like confidently make that decision and control Mm -hmm. your urges Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to speak it was just like a a lot of like not thinking about yeah things and just really troubling kind of conversations like that Mm -hmm. that I I just really started to question especially like how how centered a lot of like evangelical churches Mm -hmm. are around these ideas of like sex Mm -hmm. And how it's so like this big part mm-hmm. of like the entire identity yeah. of churches. Yeah, it's just like this is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm thinking about a lot of things. Thinking about you, you right when you said you know power, I was thinking mm. about authority. You know mm. this uh, who whose authority do you trust, and mm-hmm. how is it get wielded? Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, I mean, part of my own story of being like single and leading in the church and, you know, married later was realizing like who the F made these rules. (laughs) Like you 
guy up there, you know, uh, on the stage who got married at 21. That's fine. Cool. Do your Mm -hmm. thing. You have made rules and insist on rules for me in my mid thirties. And that is not fair. And also let's talk about the fact that you did not wait until you got married to have sex. You just lie about it. Like, do you know, that was like always, you know, finding more and more people that would eventually say like, we didn't actually, you know, we didn't actually wait. And then they have all this shame around it and nowhere to tell their honest story about what just progressing in a relationship can look like, Mm -hmm. you know, with wisdom and care and consent and, you know, all of those things. So I so like relate to that and am so sort of curious about how you see because we're going to get to this point where you, where you have done work with your creativity and with your projects and your curiosity mm-hmm. about bodies mm-hmm. and being in our bodies and mm-hmm. listening to our bodies, which is about an authority that's here. Mm-hmm. And it is sacred and good and powerful. But there's this way of being in these church spaces in this culture mm-hmm. that's about like control and fear and mm-hmm. um smallness <laughs> and like Just, and honestly like emotional manipulation yeah it's a, a abuse it's abuse there's absolutely abuse in a lot of that yeah um so how shall we go about talking Ooh. more about Ooh. this <laughs> um You are remembering this moment where you're sitting in this very cool church and you're being spoken to as if you're in junior high and Mm -hmm. you are not at all in junior high. Mm -hmm. You're an adult desiring to make good decisions for Mm -hmm. yourself and for relationships that Mm -hmm. you would like uh, or are exploring. Like what? And you're hearing this and you're you're rejecting it. There's Mm -hmm. there's some sort of hand inside of you going up and saying like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm saying no to that. So I, I, I would love to hear you talk about what you longed for in that moment as you are yeah. rejecting something. Well, I wanted to hear like real honest conversations about what it meant to be in a relationship in Toronto in when you're in like I was 28 at the time mm-hmm. and you're single and what a real relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. Um And how to, you know, maybe navigate that. And like, so I guess what I was looking for was like, let's talk about the whole experience. Let's talk about consent. Mm -hmm. Let's like, let's get rid of this ridiculous notion about accidentally having sex with someone. Mm -hmm. Like this kind of thing where you like, oh, oops, like we can't control our horn. Like this is ridiculous. And really belittling. Like we can do better. We can do better. We can do better. We can have comp. We can have real comp. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to really like, you're you're gonna say, hey, we're gonna t- tackle tough topics in church. Let's tackle sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about actually how there's a lot of women who are still still struggle in their sexual relationships with their husbands mm-hmm. because they've been told that sex is not good mm-hmm. their whole life. Yeah. Like, and, that's and you not, don't get to flip a switch on that. You don't get to flip a switch. Like how many, this was actually one of the big things that started me down my journey was mm-hmm. having conversations even with married women I knew in the mm-hmm. church who are like, oh, they're so cool. They have cool husbands. Like, 
and them saying, oh, yeah, like, okay, how real can I get? Oh, get yeah. real. Okay, I'm like, put a little thing at the beginning of this yeah. conversation. They're, so, like, telling please. me how they've, like, never had an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, you know, single and, you know, just kind of trying to figure out what my sexuality looked like at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, like, whoa, I don't want that to be me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the woman who's married and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it's fun. But, like, I'm not, like, having a fulfilling sex yeah. life because isn't that, like, part of it? Mm-hmm. Isn't that part of some this partnership? Or some partnership. That's, like, yeah, alive for both of us. Alive for both of you. That's fun and exciting. Mm-hmm. And, like, and it, it absolutely ties back to feminism, too, mm-hmm. you know? Like, because this is not, this is not the same issue for men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And women's sexuality is so tied to the way you think. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's. Yeah, every human's is both, actually. We we all lose in that conversation. We all lose. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many ways to like stop. Like the church needs to stop denying that we're se- we're not sexual. Mm-hmm. Like there's ways to talk about it and in a healthy, like talking about sexuality in a healthy way, mm-hmm. um, means that we talk about how to say yes as much as how to say no. And that's mm-hmm. just consent. Yeah. That's just talking about consent. Yeah. And and then to talk about, you know, how to like explore that full breadth of the human experience and mm-hmm. what that looks like. And I think, yeah, I just, that, that conversation with, you know, women mm-hmm. in the church that I had been at, that was even in London actually, mm-hmm. Um, led me down a whole path of being like, well, you know what? Like, like F that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to explore my own sexuality mm-hmm. because like I want to have a good time when I meet someone that yeah. I do want to marry and I do want to have sex with. Okay, this is great, Elise. Yes. <laughs> this is great. The, the sense that the work of reclamation mm. and definition mm. starts before... Hmm. Um, <laughs> starts before this grand meeting yeah. of this life partner. Yeah. Like can let's talk about that. What oh, yeah. what is that like to walk that out? Because I imagine you had to like brave some space for yourself and yeah. do some serious like talking to yourself, like coaching yourself into something. Yeah. That was not obviously your faith community and faith communities you'd been a part of. We're not offering you wisdom. They were offering you something you were saying, no, F that. No. I yeah. need to find a different way. Yeah. So which isn't just like I'm waiting for this partner and then I will find this sort of connection and uh sense of myself sexually. Yeah. It starts before that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah. So I like for me Yeah, we're going full on mm-hmm. and gritty. Um, I, oh, I we are. <laughs> we so are. because we, we we need this We need these conversations and I'm totally willing to talk about this. Yeah, and that's um, why I think when I was really even as like a teenager, mm-hmm. I was like sexual, but I held myself back from ever like can we define what you mean when you say yeah like I think um like I have a memory for example of like listening to I don't know like Christina Aguilera or something in my bedroom by myself Mm -hmm. maybe I was like 14 or 15 Mm -hmm. and just like being like really like ooh, like dancing (laughs) and like kind of like you know 
touching myself in the mirror kind of like not even in like a super sexual way Mm -hmm. but just kind of like dancing sexily Mm -hmm. and feeling so much shame about it and like stopping myself and pulling myself back and like Uh. you know I actually like it's interesting I have conversations with like a lot of like Christian women I know and most of them like quite a few like did even like start masturbating when Mm -hmm. they were younger Mm -hmm. like I didn't start until I was 25. I didn't what? touch myself until that point, until I made that decision to have those conversation with those women. And yeah. I was like, I need to know myself yeah. so that I can, when I'm with a partner, mm-hmm. that they can get to know me. If I don't know mm-hmm. myself, in the same way in anything, yeah. it's not just about sexuality. Yeah. If you don't know yourself, yeah. you don't do the work yeah. to be comfortable with yourself mm-hmm enjoy spending time with yourself and not just as a euphemism right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. which I do but yeah mm-hmm. anyway uh but like if you don't do that work mm-hmm. then how can I ever expect that someone else will be able to tell me mm-hmm. and like and like you said it's not just a switch that you flip yeah. on and it defaults you're you're um giving your power away yeah actually thinking that like this this person that you're gonna partner with can now tell you what you like yeah and what feels good for you that is actually not their job and like i mean let's just you know i'm sure that a lot of like especially when you're looking at like heteronormative relationships yeah. like a lot of young christian men like I'm, they, don't, they don't know what mm-hmm. is going to be good for a woman mm-hmm. and also like as I've learned, like, in my own explorations with my body, it's like, it changes day to day. Mm-hmm. Like, we also have cycles. Yeah. <laughs> we have a monthly hormonal cycle mm-hmm. that really affects how things are pleasurable and mm-hmm. how things feel. And like, come on, we have to, like, God, if, if we believe that God designed this mm-hmm. body, right. there's literally a piece of, like, every woman that's designed only for pleasure. Yeah. Only. Like, there's yeah. no other scientific yeah. purpose for that. So can we talk about how, like, men have told women for so long that, like, they shouldn't enjoy sex? Like, this is such a feminist issue. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it comes into the church. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of even, like, the waiting till marriage kind of talk mm-hmm. unfairly shames women. Absolutely. It absolutely shames both men and women. Yeah. And I definitely wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's... <laughs> I could go on about this for a long time, mm-hmm. but it's it's really powerful to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that I actually, you know, when I when I really started to do that, when I was like, hey, I'm going to explore my own body. Mm-hmm. I'm going to like figure this mm-hmm. shit out. <laughs> right. I'm going to like see what's going on yeah. down there yeah. and like actually <laughs> like understand it and understand right. myself better. And I actually really saw it as a spiritual act. And I know like some people are going to be like, that is effed up. But I was like, this is like, this is a spiritual act. This is like just as much work mm-hmm. with me realigning with like God mm-hmm. and, and my spiritual sense mm-hmm. of direction as anything. Mm-hmm. This is just as important yeah. is this relationship to my body. Mm-hmm. And it did make me feel powerful in my body. Mm-hmm. It did connect me with something. Mm-hmm. And it did awaken like this... Not just like, like it honestly didn't, wasn't even about like the kind of the age old kind of like, oh, lust is bad and you shouldn't feel this. And you shouldn't do yeah. that. It, it was it was really about just like this is something that my body was designed to do. Yeah. And that is really yeah. powerful. And that's really cool. Yeah. So I, thank you for your openness. I think it's so important and can think of 
my own experience mm-hmm. in the church in relationship to my body and my childhood as well mm-hmm. being about closing it down yeah <laughs> because i i emanate on the enneagram mm-hmm. and my absolute biggest fear is being overpowered mm-hmm. i do not i cannot mm-hmm. <laughs> i will not <laughs> be overpowered mm-hmm. and so in my 30s, you know, deciding I want to be in a partnership, but I am locked down in, in all of these ways yeah. and just shifting the, the authority, being like, you know, I, I actually have a hermeneutic of suspicion about these rules. They do not mm-hmm. bring wholeness and healing into my life. Mm-hmm. So I reject them. Mm-hmm. But now what the hell do I yeah, do? Right? You open yeah. up this whole thing. Yes. And begin to take these steps yeah. towards something that looks more like wholeness and healing and health. Mm-hmm. Which again is like like the language of lust and like uh, inability to control. No, I've been controlled. Like I'm trying to get control back. And it, yeah. and it, it has to do with knowing about my body and what pleasure feels like because if I don't awaken something I can't actually be in the world like open to love yeah Uh, and I mean that like on a really big level like absolutely um so having this conversation in an open and like trusting way is so important and I can think back on uh, a relationship I remember hearing this this couple in the church and she just said I just lay there and he does and then it's over and I remember being like oh hell no like yeah that is not I want more for you yeah. I want more yeah. for us than that yeah. um so walking out and trusting like those moments when you think this rule is not for me it is not for my health it is not for my healing it is not for my wholeness and finding voice i had such great friends you know and went to some really good therapists Mm -hmm. and began to like awaken Mm -hmm. for myself which is the only way i found partnership that continues to meet me and heal me and make me more whole and it didn't look like you know, I'm waiting until this moment and then I'll flip the switch and then we'll have this glorious sexual relationship off into our future. It looks like choosing something all the time. It looks like listening to myself and totally. listening to my partner and like communication. Oh my goodness. And like communication. Oh, and <laughs> communication. <laughs> right. But that this, I'm more and more um, in awe of the, of, of our, our, our sexual lives as our whole lives mm-hmm. like that this is about my emotional my mental my physical and my spiritual it's about and and what happens in the spaces between us absolutely like, this is this is holy like yeah you know, wh whole but also h-o-l-y yeah because um, that like that intimacy like when i finally like entered into like my first like sexual relationship mm-hmm. I was like, I could never not be in a relationship now that has some of that because it really does, it it helps you to really connect in a way mm-hmm. that 
I'd never experienced before with anyone. Mm-hmm. And and that's not just about like it's not just about like this traditional like okay let's just have like have sex and then it's over and like mm-hmm. I don't know it's just it's about this mm-hmm. whole like our whole relationship mm-hmm. um you know and you it's it's just about connection and mm-hmm. um and for me now it's just like such an important part mm-hmm. of both my relationship to myself still mm-hmm. like I still very much think that that's a really like you have to value your own like personal like sexual like as you do like your own whole person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then like the the relationship with my partner Mm -hmm. and the way that we can connect together Mm -hmm. and that that is that is spiritual how Mm -hmm. is that not Mm -hmm. how is that like intimate connection not spiritual Mm -hmm. and how is that not powerful and I remember thinking I mean I think about this on lots of different levels but the way that our religious traditions um, lend us, unfortunately, shortcuts. Hmm. You know, that if I just follow the rule, then I will, like, have the thing. <laughs> and it's a shortcut to the work, hmm. to the work of of identifying the places and the ways that I'm broken and that I manipulate and that I uh, perpetuate something that isn't of the best doing the work to move through that Mm -hmm. to something you know it's so the the rules of like we'll just wait and then do it after is is a shortcut it's a shortcut and and again like you said that may I think a lot of people will be like well I did do that and that is my story and like that is to be honored you absolutely do what you do you sense what is right and good for you absolutely Uh, but the ongoing work mm-hmm. uh, isn't about rules. No, it's something much more complicated, but much more rewarding. And that's that's a lot of work. It is. It is a l- ongoing. Ongoing, absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about where your creative urge and your photography has taken you into some of these themes Mm -hmm. of bodies and shame and I love that you use the word sensuality Mm. as well I would love for you to talk more about that so yeah so it comes from a couple different places it comes definitely from, from this exploration of okay like knowing my body in its wholeness mm-hmm. Not just like knowing how to do my hair, or like my face, but like knowing everything about my body mm-hmm. and being comfortable completely in that. And that's completely ongoing. Because our bodies are changing. Oh my God. You yes. just bought new jeans. I just bought new jeans. To honor some changes. Yeah, to honor <laughs> the fact that I'm no longer 22. Right. And I right. have to buy bigger pants now. Okay, <laughs> cool. Still coming to terms with that a little right. bit. But right. you know, you yeah, mm-hmm. it's constantly, it's an ongoing kind mm-hmm. of like negotiation and like, I was almost gonna use the word project, but like, oh, like you know, that. but like this like thing that you work on with yourself and mm-hmm. your own body. And I remember when I kind of, I'm trying to think of the, like the timeline for this, but I started you know, I think it was even after some conversations with you, like back when we had Mm -hmm. coffee before and thinking about, um, thinking about body and like presence and like being completely comfortable in my own skin 
And I was still really, at this time, you know, on this journey of discovering my own sexuality, my own sensuality. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll get to the sensuality piece. Um, and I decided that I wanted to be more comfortable being naked, um, both kind of like sexually, mm-hmm. like just like, you know, hey, <laughs> what's up? It's me. It's me. <laughs> but also just as like, this is a body mm-hmm. and it functions for me and it gets me places and I want to honor this body mm-hmm. that does so much for mm-hmm. me yeah. and is so powerful. And so I decided to do a photo series where I did one nude photo a day okay. um, of yourself, of myself. Yeah. And I did it for about almost, I think, 30 days. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so some days were better than others. Some yeah. days the photos were better than others. Some days I felt better about my body than mm-hmm. other days. Um, but it did really, like, help me to kind of mm-hmm. be like, okay, well, like, how do I even pose a naked body? How do mm-hmm. I look at myself? And and it's a really funny thing because, obviously, like, the female form is mm-hmm. just in, like, contemporary right. art yeah. and photography. It's, like, the male gaze mm-hmm. traditionally. So it was also a little bit about taking back, back that power mm-hmm. and being like, this is about my gaze on mm-hmm. me. <laughs> like, this is about as selfish of a project as I could possibly oh, think wow. of. Mm-hmm. But to really connect it's with... like a gift like, to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it was about my own. It was about myself and mm-hmm. and connecting with myself. It mm-hmm. was as much about the process as it was about like the actual images. Mm-hmm. So I, I like I've shared the images with a few people, but they're not. I haven't figured out the place to put them yet, mm-hmm. and like whether they'll be fully public at some point. Yeah. Of course, when I told my mother that they might be, she was horrified. But... <laughs> oh, mom, oh. <laughs> she's it's doing okay, what mom. moms do. She's doing what moms do. Mm-hmm. She's looking out for me, mm-hmm. but. So I started this this project and I started to take nude photos of myself and it was a really great experience to look at my body in a new way. Um, Can you talk about maybe like one or, you know, mm -hmm. an image that really, and what was it about it? Oh man, I remember I did this one image and I just like was like feeling like super sexy (laughs) and I just like had this like light coming through the blinds and I just like leaned against the wall and I kind of just like I fully embraced the the sexiness of Mm. it and I was just like yes I'm just gonna like fully like okay like this is this photo is not really for a lot of people and I'm just gonna fully go for it and just be as like sexy as I want to be in this moment exposed Mm -hmm. completely nude and you know just feeling like and then looking at the photo after and being like wow like this is cool like this is such a different part of myself that I think I've suppressed for so long just like did not allow myself to feel Mm -hmm. or see and allowing myself to be as free and sexy and you know allowing myself even to just like I think through this process admit that I wanted to be sexy Mm -hmm. and I wanted to like have sex and Mm -hmm. I want like even just admitting to myself Mm -hmm. those things is like a long process to get to the point where you know even though I was going through this whole process I still was like oh yeah but I'll probably like wait till I'm married and like I still had these ideas in my head and and that, you know, I get that. Yeah. That, like, I, this is my intention. And then you get closer to something and you think, I'm reevaluating. Mm-hmm. 
okay, I'm changing my mind. Yeah. I'm changing my mind. And to and also give yourself to. like yeah. the like grace to do that. Yeah. And also if you want to yeah. wait and that's yeah. the intention of what yeah. you want to go for that confidently yeah. too. And mm-hmm. that's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you're going for it forward with that, even with the idea that you might want to wait till a certain point that you still remember that you are a sexual person even in that in-between waiting period even in the waiting Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and that's what gets missed so you can move from one room into the next yeah that it's not like oh shit now I have to like climb a mountain range to like awaken something in (laughs) myself uh yeah yeah keep going yeah so uh at some point in this time too I discovered this really beautiful podcast did you introduce me to that podcast maybe i'm trying to remember what the actual one was but it was like this woman i sent you the like lady groove it might have been through lady groove and then i went down like some trails on the internet (laughs) and ended up finding an interview with a podcast interview with this woman named who went by the persona kitty cavalier okay and I found her so interesting because she would do these like sensuality school oh. and like sensuality as as spirituality. Ah. And she tied those two together. Okay. And I just like became really enthralled with this idea huh. because I was like, that speaks to me, to my yeah. story yeah. of like this awakening that I've awakened a new part of my spirituality through like my sensuality Mm. with like my own body but also then thinking about sensuality as like a way of interacting with the world and thinking about everything that you're doing Mm -hmm. you know like sitting on these chairs and feeling like how does this Mm -hmm. this chair like hug my back Mm. and like you know how does it feel like how does it feel to drink a sip of Mm. water after you've been talking for a while and feel these things you know yeah and actually think about feeling and this full sensory experience Mm. so that's what the sensuality comes from is really about like experiencing things fully in your body Mm. and it actually comes down to too just a lot of like being present Mm. which is something we struggle with so much right now Mm. I think because pain may be there Mm. and 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 that is terrifying and we have so many opportunities to not feel our pain our vulnerability or sadness yeah and we know on some level if I really feel I'm gonna feel the things I'm afraid of yes and I don't know if I have what it takes to feel that absolutely but the beauty of feeling the things through your body is you can be grounded yes you can be grounded in it yeah Um, and you can be grounded in like a moment yeah instead of having to be feeling everything at all once, the things yeah you can focus yeah and you know as a um as a type seven mm-hmm. it, i kind of found this out afterwards i was like oh this is the, exactly what i needed too was mm-hmm. something to kind of ground me in the present in a moment yeah and it's not just for type seven for anyone yeah, i think really yeah. to ground yourself and just really be aware mm-hmm. And our bodies also tell us so much mm-hmm. about how we're feeling mm-hmm. and we, we learn to ignore it. Mm-hmm. That's a process that I've been going through too, yeah. is just learning to like awaken yeah. the awareness yeah. of your body and how it feels and yeah. listening to that yeah. and allowing that to be part of yeah. the guide in your day to day. Yes. 
Because That's if so it difficult. isn't, like we will make ourselves sick. You do. Our bodies yeah. will say, like, I'm trying to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And there's all this kind of breakdown. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think women do live with that um, confusion, mm-hmm. uh, that disorientation of like resi- uh, protecting yourself from what you feel. Mm-hmm. It's often anger, mm-hmm. you know, uh, some real rage yeah. about some things and that we don't know. Yeah. We're not really allowed that kind of like, <laughs> like this was traumatic. The people who were supposed to love and protect me did not. Yeah. Like, you know, like and actually that. being allowed to be mad about mm-hmm. it and like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, those kind and, of feelings. And in, instead of like letting your body guide you through that, the work that we'll do to resist it will mm-hmm. br- like our bodies are, are going to be like, no, you have to, you have to pay attention. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, you're sick. Oh, you, you broke out in a terrible rash. Oh, you have chronic pain and all these parts of your body. Like there's often an emotional, um, and, and part of our own story, our history that's wrapped up in that. Absolutely. I see it all the time. Absolutely. They're so connected mm-hmm. and we forget it. We mm-hmm. just try and like, we treat our body as just this kind of like place for our soul a place church, for our soul right? like literally just a, a vessel disposable and just but it's actually very much mm-hmm. part of our soul mm-hmm. you know and part of the living breathing connection that we yeah. have yeah and if you don't and it's such a shame that, that yeah. christians people of the incarnation you know where yes. like soul meets body like isn't this so contradictory? <laughs> There's so many things about like the, the Christian faith that yes. have like become yeah. part of yeah. the like the culture yeah. that actually have nothing to do with really yeah. what it's about. Yeah. And you gotta strip those layers yeah, that back. God is in this yeah. stuff, in our skin and mm-hmm. the earth and our gathering and our eating. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so all those you, experiences. Yeah. You went from having this experience with yourself mm-hmm. to then a project that is inviting other women mm-hmm. to explore their bodies and their nakedness. Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. So I did uh I did this project and I invited I kind of put the invitation out to a bunch of women mm-hmm. and some of them got um, a few of them got back to me and said they were willing to do this project mm-hmm. where I would do a photo session with them for free, um, but they kind of, it would be about this experience of getting naked in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And I really, the things I didn't want it to be was to be a boudoir session. Okay. I specifically didn't call it that okay. because I think the boudoir trend and thing to me really talks about a, a I think it's about like a, a, the gaze of like a someone else yes, like a partner I, yeah, or something absolutely I think it's also about this kind of like false sense of sexiness where okay. you're like you get all dolled up and you wear fancy lingerie mm. and it's really like glamorous okay and it's very performative okay. and I didn't want that I wanted stripped back I wanted real I wanted like whatever you feel in your body is what you feel in your body and mm. that can be weird and that could be like not mm. sexy and that can be also sexy mm-hmm. and it can be whatever you want it to mm-hmm. be so um I had access to a really great studio and so we 
took it over for the day mm-hmm. and I even had a friend come in um just do really like light makeup okay. just you want to still feel mm-hmm. you want to feel mm-hmm. beautiful and like you're going to be on camera and but part of it was you know I started with the women depending on their comfort level in some level of dress and we'd talk as I'd encourage them to be like you can if you want you can take a layer off you can Mm. trying to make a really like safe space for them Mm. to get into a place where they were like feeling that sensuality feeling their Mm. bodies being bringing awareness back Mm -hmm. to themselves Mm. and it was about that process of exploration of yourself Mm. exploration of your body that I really wanted to bring out so you know we even had like we had candles and we just had like all these flowers that we just you could use if you wanted to or just like different and I think it was a really beautiful experience because like some of the women haven't even seen all their photos yet but what they were so it was so much about the experience Mm. and it wasn't really again Mm. about the final photos same as my own project it's like somebody is is there to witness like you Mm -hmm. provided them with witness yeah yeah and and provided them with a space yeah to be like you can you're safe you're safe held yeah you can explore your your own self Mm -hmm. you can and like and just to really also just celebrate their bodies Mm -hmm. like women's bodies are so cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i think there's so much variation Mm -hmm. and i mean i remember having one of my first experiences going to um I was traveling and I was in Helsinki mm-hmm. of course they're famous for their saunas mm. and went with a friend and everyone just strips down and you you're naked in mm-hmm. the sauna um and all these women and just like wanting to look at all of them because yeah. it didn't grow up in a culture where it was okay to just be naked yeah. even all of our change rooms in swimming pools in North mm-hmm. America there's cha- there's change mm-hmm. rooms inside the change rooms right. and it's very like people kind of look at you weird if you change like if you get naked in mm-hmm. front of other people and right. you know this being comfortable in your own skin yeah. just kind of embracing right. that we all have these differences and right. our bodies are all unique to what we need and what we have and yeah so it was a really 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 beautiful it was a beautiful day um what a amazing group of women that came Mm. and just to see the different levels of like bravery some of them had Mm. never done something like this before and some of them were like okay my clothes are off what next you know (laughs) and and just to see the full gamut of all these women and so I, I really, it's something I'm, I think I might move into mm-hmm. doing more of, but maybe in new ways. What I'm working on right now is project kind of similarly around the full moon. Mm-hmm. So the, I've just really drawn to the idea of this, the moon as being this feminine power mm-hmm. and this source of feminine energy that, you know, we have, we call it the moon cycle even, mm-hmm. and just like thinking about what is that feminine power Mm -hmm. and what does that look like and photographing women under the light of the full moon Mm. and nothing else um and working on kind of how i can develop this project obviously we have so many winter months here so it's quite a challenge okay so 
I've kind of started to work towards it and I'm hoping that, you know, by next year I can actually do uh, like 12 months and like okay. do like every month a different photo and okay. make it into a series. With, oh, wow. But to explore that idea of what is that, what is that spiritual connection that we have with our bodies mm, yeah. and, and how does that also relate to like yeah. this world that we live in and this place that we're in yeah. too. I love the themes of like, uh, darkness as comfort as friend as like a place where the divine mm. dwells as well and the mm. the the glow of the moon as well like illuminated uh is i cannot wait to keep hearing about that <laughs> i love it so much i'm aware that we're like at time and I have still so many things I wanted to ask you. So I feel like this is like part one okay. of another. I, I I think a lot of people are going to be like, well, here's a conversation I needed <laughs> for the last 20 years. Yeah. you know. And maybe some people are like well on their way. And this yeah. is just an affirmation of like good. you yeah. are on your way. That is good. Keep um, going. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh where can people see your stuff? I mean, I the best place is probably, you know, I do have a website portfolio. Okay. Um, not a ton of this kind of work is up yeah. on there right now. There is some work on my Instagram, okay. which is just at Elise Bouvier. Okay. Um, so it's kind of a good place to yeah. start. And I'm kind of in really just like a brainstorming period right now okay. so I think a lot of these ideas are brewing yeah. and more of this is going to come out right. in the future okay. um, but if you want to see it when it first comes out that's the place that to do place. it because you you do shows around the city as well and like coffee shops and stuff like you've had your yeah. stuff up so and you post that on Instagram yeah, yeah. I generally post those that's kind great. of things on Instagram and then and then my portfolio definitely has a lot yeah. of the especially the rural Alberta oh, stuff yeah. okay it's all on cool we'll website, be sure to so. link that yeah link that up when we bring it all together my name is John and I help Bobby make the episodes for between Sundays in most episode recordings, aside from monitoring levels, I quickly find myself listening to the conversations in a similar way to how you at home listen to podcasts. And this was an episode that the need for me to simply listen was underlined greatly. And so instead of offering an opinion from yet another cis straight white guy, I think I'm just going to sit with this conversation and see what it brings out in me over time. Between Sundays is a production of Commons Church and the Commons Podcast Network. Bobby Sockold is the host, and Jonathan Petkow is the producer. Artwork by Angie Ishak. Special thanks to Elise Bouvier for coming to hang out with us. You can follow us on Instagram at BTW Sundays. See you next season.